Hello, this is Steve Spar, your host for SQ Unplugged, Conversations in Spiritual Intelligence. Spiritual intelligence is the ability to act with wisdom, compassion, and peace in the stress and pressure of the real world. Each episode of SQ Unplugged, I will talk with an SQ21 certified coach, which was a model developed by Cindy Wigglesworth of DeepChange.com. We'll discuss the challenges of how to be spiritually intelligent in the midst of modern life. Hello, you lovable listeners. We're here with an episode of SQ Unplugged. I'm excited to be talking with my friend and certified SQ21 coach, Suzanne Carter. Suzanne is a coach and a therapist, including an equine and canine therapist, and a unity minister. And she's also um, the founder and runs the Harmony Relationship Center in Loveland, Colorado. Suzanne, welcome. How are you today? Oh, I'm very good. It's great to be here with you, Steve. This is very fun. Yeah, it is fun. You and I have known each other for years through the SQ community, and it's always fun to touch base with you. Uh, I remember one conference we were at in Northern California where you led a small group of us through an exercise, and it was so moving for that 10 or 12 of us that were there. We had broken up that night into separate activities, and that group got so much out of it that we continued to meet monthly and talk about that event for for several months. It was a full moon that night, and we named it after the moon of that season, and it was a fun time. So fun. It was wonderful, all of us there together doing that. Yeah, the conferences have been a great great way for um, personal contact, especially during this whole, you know, the whole COVID season has been so isolating for us. So Suzanne, to throw it open here to start off, um, let's just talk about what's going on with you or what has gone on with you regarding your spiritual intelligence. Is there an interesting moment in your life or an experience that bears on your spiritual intelligence? Yes. I, I, first of all, when I met Cindy at a Unity conference, I was so delighted to meet her and the way that she put together spiritual intelligence. And then, so I went to the conferences that she had, and one of them, one time, there was an activity that we did that you actually led us in, Steve, but it was asking us to strike a pose that would represent an image of our higher self. And you had us go into little groups, so I was in a group of four people, and two parts of it, we would think about striking this pose that would represent our higher self, And also, then our group mates would then take notes about what they were feeling intuitively. And so I was like, well, what pose should I strike? And and I stood, I was standing up and I had my arms sort of out, my hands out. And I was just standing there, you know, and and they're taking notes. And then then the instruction was to um, then give me feedback about what they were picking up. And this is even going to make me emotional thinking about it now because it was such a beautiful moment. People, one woman said, well, I'm getting this image of, of um, Guadalupe or Mother Mary or this mother love. I mean, and it was like, <laughs> so I, I was starting to almost cry. It just felt so beautiful. And then pretty soon the whole group was crying and they're just saying, yes, I just feel this. Like one woman said, it's like you carry uh, 
this gift of, of mothering love. Do you have a child? And I said, yes, yes, I do. But, and it was so beautiful. And then what happened is you had us then strike another pose based on the feedback and uh, we got, and so I was encircled my group with my arms and then we're really crying in love. And it was just, and so Steve, it was such a meaningful thing because you know, so I realized that part of my higher self, an image of it would be carrying mothering love. And I had always, when my son was born, it was wonderful, but I had always been sort of in touch with this gift of, you know, we all have inner gifts and Mark Nepo, a wonderful um, leader says we all have the same gifts to different degrees, but it was so wonderful. And that experience changed my life because it was connecting me with my true self, honoring um, an aspect of my true self. And it was just so wonderful that I use those in, in my work now, th this experience that you had us in, let us in. That's such a wonderful thing to hear, Suzanne, that that affected you that positively. I'm remembering back, that was one of the early conferences, SQ21 conferences, and I'm trying to remember that exercise, and I think what we were trying to do, you know, so many conferences or professional interactions are very verbal and very heady, cognitive. And what we were trying to do there is tap into the wisdom of the body, but then also tap into the inner subjectivity of the group, because all of us are always picking up more information than just, you know, what we hear. And so that's what we were playing with in that exercise. So it sounds like they were able to give you, they picked up on information that maybe you didn't even know and maybe they couldn't even verbalize without going through that. That's a wonderful thing to hear. And I think it was just being willing to connect with all aspects of ourself, you know, I mean, being in touch with the higher self and then inviting them to. And it was just such a beautiful experience of like joining together on all levels, but especially at that higher level. It, it was just so me. I loved it. Yeah. You. you know, it makes me think about how much. <laughs> so supposedly I helped lead that exercise back at that conference, and yet so much of my life is trying to learn exactly the principles you were talking about there. Um, I'm, I'm naturally an intellectual person. All of you that know me, I'm a talker, so I'm you know very verbal, and I put a lot of value on the eloquence of language, which is fine so far as it goes, but in the end it's a small pool. So I'm trying more and more in my personal life to be open to the nonverbal, to not rely so much, overuse that strength, and instead try to be with people or my environment in a way that's trying to just pick up things nonverbally, be more sensitive to the information that is between myself and someone else or, or within my environment. And that's really, you know, that's a, <laughs> I call it a developing skill for me. Well, what you're saying reminds me of a model that I use that um, that one of my ministerial teachers talked about, and he called it the, the Four Functions of Consciousness by Carl Jung. And um, the, the four functions, like four ways of knowing. And in, the intellect is one way, which we in this Western society um, use a lot, almost too much. And then there's, so there's thinking, feeling, sensing, and intuiting. 
And when we were in ministerial school, this wonderful teacher, uh, Marvin Anderson, he said that we need to be balanced in all four, where we spend too much time thinking and intellectualizing. But then the other four functions of sensing, which is the body knowing, intuiting, which I like to think about is very much connected to our higher self, and then the feeling orientation or emotion. And so it, I, often with clients, my SQ clients and my regular clients, I really help them think about these four functions, four ways of knowing. Yeah, and we in this culture really tend to overuse um, the thinking. Yes, and so that's a really good model to use, I think, in spiritual intelligence. You know, because certainly intuition and and since emotional intelligence is so important to spiritual intelligence, it really helps people just even start thinking about honoring their feelings as well as their bodily knowing and winning. Yeah. You know, I'm aware of Myers-Briggs, which uses the four functions you're talking about, and I've used that a lot in organizational um, settings and so on. But the way you're describing it has... Um, kind of a new flavor as I'm hearing it. You know, you described it as, I, I, the technical language is the four functions, but you're talking about four ways of knowing. That kind of equates a sensing knowing or an intuiting knowing with the way that we usually think knowing knowledge is gained, which is, you know, to think it out and then I'm sure that I understand it, that I know it. Yes. Because knowing is more than the knowledge. So that's just striking to me. That's a nice way to describe it. And it's really helpful for, I mean, I love the Myers-Briggs too, for sure. And I bet my clients really like this because for one thing, it's honoring that intuition. And if we're talking about spiritual intelligence, it's important to um, have people be willing to explore their intuition, their intuitive knowing. And that ex exercise at the conference, I think people were really it just seems like it was, yes, body, but it also was deep intuition. Because I had not said to any anyone in my little group about how much I love, um, you know, being my son's mother or my dog's mother or this. And it was since that time, I've really been talking about it as this inner gift. And we all need to find our inner gifts to advance our um, who we are in this world. Yeah, I love it. You know, Suzanne, when you and I met many years ago, I I knew or found out in our conversations that you did equine therapy. And I believe there's a couple other coaches in the group that do that. And I had never heard of that. And I was fascinating, fascinated by it. I've since that time found out more about it, that the use of the horse to help a person um, get to areas they couldn't get to otherwise. But I didn't know until you and I were talking, setting up this conversation, that you also do canine therapy. So is that like, I've heard in hospitals, like they'll bring a dog that has, it helps the person kind of access more of their, you know, happiness or their sense of healing. What is canine therapy and how does that work? Well, so most do like dogs or you know like them one way or another and and I always let my clients know my dog's going to be in the office if that's okay with you and so uh, just to back up a little bit y yes um, often people think of canine therapy as taking the dog to visit somebody in the hospital but the kind of work I do is where 
for example, I, I just had a client, a little girl, just a couple months ago, and, and so there's no way anybody would know who she is. She, but she was terrified of dogs, but she she was willing to um, meet my dog. And the thing is, so she'd been in an abusive home. Home. She was in foster care, and she was able to deal with her fear of dogs, which of course was much bigger than just dogs, by interacting with my dog and letting my my dog, she would say to my dog, okay, sit, and he would sit. And then she would say, come, and he would come, and we would go from one room to another. And so I'd say, okay, let's just tell him to sit right here, and we'll go in this other room and call him. And she was only seven years old, but she was able to pick up these skills, and by doing this, and being very loving to the dog, but also commanding him, she was able to not only deal with her fear of the dog, but just her fear in general of not having any control. So that would be one example of um, canine therapy. What a fat! Well, that's fascinating. That's wonderful. That's uplifting to hear. Uh, I mean, I'm just imagining somebody. Well, kids in general don't feel like they have a lot of power, but somebody yes. here who. Yeah, had felt they didn't have power, and now they could have, they could direct the dog around. That must feel wonderful to them. And and it was wonderful, and also that they could direct the dog without having to scream and yell and hit. Too, oh. it, it was just such a wonderful experience for this little girl. She would write love letters to my dog in between sessions. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is really wonderful. You have an interesting life, Suzanne. You get to interact with people from so many different, just different approaches and different avenues, all in all in service. You yes, know what else you. is going on? Yeah, what else is going on in your life or in the world? Where do you see where spiritual intelligence is kind of either in place and helping, or calling out for help where we need more people? What's your sense of what's happening in life? Well, so for me, I think as we, for me, if I had a magic wand and we all have different plans, but that we would really seek to connect with that higher self. I like to think of our higher self as, as wholeness, though, that can hold all aspects of who we are. So it's not just some part of us that we don't live with. I like to teach people, because I do it myself, as much as possible living in my higher self. It's something that's accessible on, in a daily way. It reminds me of, I, I'm working on a little bit of an Easter talk this Sunday, and two ways that will really help us in the world using spiritual intelligence and living from our higher self. There are two ways, and I got these from um, the two ways from Mark Nepo's book, Inner Courage. But these two truths are this. And if we just adopt these two truths that I'm going to say in a minute, um, everything could change in our, in our life. And one is that we are willing to stand, he calls it, he says it like this, stand by your core. And, and what that means, because core, um, there's many def definitions of it, but one is um, stand by who you are, stand by your heart. And so stand by who you are, number one. And the second one is face things exactly as they are. And so, you know, first of all, so connect with who you are and stand by it. And then be willing to do things exactly as they are. 
because we humans have a tendency, if we're uncomfortable at all, to maybe look away or intellectualize or ignore our feelings or literally to turn away from the threat. And to use another um, example from the horse world, horses, because they're a prey animal, they do not turn away from a threat and unless it's so frightening that all they can do is run away. But usually what a horse does first is they face the threat. And, and I saw this time and time again with my horse that was Harmony, where if there was something she was, that was, she was feeling afraid of, I could just see her take a couple of deep breaths and she would look at the threat. And, and it's so amazing to see um, this thousand pound animal who's a prey animal face the threat. And then in doing that, she knew what to do, whether to run or to maybe fight. And so again, it's like um, being willing to look at the threat. And the best way to look at our at any threat that we are dealing with is to be standing by our core. From the vantage point of who I am at the highest level, from that level, you know, and then I'm engaging my emotions and my body knowing and my intu intuition, then I'll know what to do. Interesting. And you see that in the wisdom of these animals. Yes. Um, I, I'm sure what you're saying is correct. I mean, of course they are. That's how they evolved. It's just hard for me to imagine a thousand pound animal feeling frightened as a prey animal. But I guess that's how they evolved up. Well, yes. Interesting, though, about that is that being a prey animal, people often think, well, then that means they're afraid. But what really, what, what I would say to the kids when I would take them out to see the horses, that what we're going to really learn to do today is come like a horse. <laughs> and kids loved it a lot. But what that means is horses, because they're a prey animal, they know they need their herd to survive. And guess what? We humans do. <laughs> and so we can learn from these relationship masters that are horses that we really do need to learn how to connect with each other and communicate and learn how to have good boundaries and speak our truth in love without attack. Gotcha. So, yeah. So you have people being able to learn from the animals, either the dog or the horse. So there's something they can learn individually, just in a, they have a relationship with the animal. But you're also talking about we as humans can pick up on the social aspect of what makes horses special. Yes. Yep. Horses, like I said, they're re I like to call them relationship masters because they, they need one another, they communicate with one another, they tell the truth. There's a book called Horses Never Lie, and it's about horses who are honest. You know, they don't need, all humans do have a way to hide, hide from the truth or hide the truth from others. And let, the best thing to do is to be who we are face things as they are, and then and honestly be who we are. And that's a hard thing to do, you know, to be who we are. It takes a lot of bravery. Yes. Well, I guess that's part of Mark Nebel's point about um, stand by your core. Yes. Yes. Well, Suzanne, you know, for the listeners on this podcast, we ask each of the guests to maybe have some takeaway, or sometimes it's a exercise or sometimes it's a evocative question or just a gem to kind of have people ponder on. What's your sense about what, what takeaway you would like people to have? Well, I would just 
that to have a practice of return, what that means, we have as spiritual intelligence coaches, we have all had those wonderful moments of connecting to our our higher self, our true self. And, and the way to learn to live in that more is to have practices of return that you will do every day. And so, for example, for me, every day, no, no, I make sure that when I get up, I make an exquisite cup of joy tea. It's a black tea. And then I have um, different spiritual readings that I do. I have my journaling. I have meditating. But sometimes and maybe I'll only spend 15 minutes in this practice of return. But sometimes I'll spend 30 or 45. And it's just such an important part of my day. I've been doing this now for 10 years. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that I invite people to do. Most people say they're too busy. And I ask them to try at least for 30 days to go and do it every day. And then if they miss a day, they have to start all over again toward the 30 days. And it really is uh, has a transformative function to our lives. You are a tough coach. <laughs> yes. So, if I'm hearing you right, they would pick whatever whatever the, they want to do as a practice of return. But by making it a ritual or a routine, they're doing something to touch into their true self every day. Yes, yes. I think the ritualizing of it. Um, that sounds strong. That sounds like something that can really have some lasting legs to it. Yes, it's marvelous. I, I can't even go a day now without doing that. So if I have to, if I'm going to an exercise class at five, then I'll just get up earlier, or maybe I'll do it when I get home at six thirty. But it's just something that I, I need and require and love. Do you do them? in the morning it sounds like or people could yes. choose to have an evening practice or yes people could do an evening practice and and then I also suggest try at least five minutes morning, if nothing else if you want to do it in the evening but just take um, even you know five minutes of doing a breath exercise yeah I, I like that whole idea a lot there is something to be said about the ritual and the doing of it every day or nearly every day. Yes. And uh, there's, because, you know, nothing be, has to become so much of a chore that we're gritting our teeth. But I'll tell you something, having a routine, having something you do as a practice of return, what I find is there's going to be times of resistance. Oh, I'm not going to do it today. That's gold. I had a therapist once, a friend of mine, tell me where the resistance is that's the gold because well what is it that makes you not want to do this for five minutes for two minutes sit <laughs> in this chair and watch your breathing for two minutes um, and then you know what yes. you might find after the two minutes oh I want to do five so there's something about fighting that resistance that you don't get if you don't have a regular ritualized practice yes and I would just like to add one little thing about that it's about loving ourselves you know, as we love ourselves, can we best love the world? And so it's it's a way of loving ourselves, and then we are able to be more loving, present to those around us. And isn't that something that we all want to do? Yeah, I definitely find that to be true. That's wonderful. Uh, well, Suzanne, you've <laughs> it's been 
wonderful having this conversation and you've left us with a beautiful practice of return idea to connect back to our true self, our higher self. And I really thank you for that and for being uh, part of the SQ Unplugged podcast. Well, yes, thank you so very much, Steve. It's been delightful. Fantastic. So we will see you all again at the next episode. Take care, everyone.